Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go, let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Crowdfunders. It's 2018. This is the first episode of the new year. We took about a month off there, um, you know, during the holidays. And I haven't talked to you guys in a while, so I'm really excited to jump back into the seat. I'm sitting in my red IKEA chair here that is um, has formed a beautiful sort of butt holder for me because I'm in it all the time. So that's exciting. Um, but yeah, boy, it's 2018. I hope everybody out there, all of our listeners, had an amazing um, holiday season, had a great New Year's. Hopefully you guys are getting back in the swing of things. Um, one of the reasons we kind of kind of, you know, ramped down around podcasts and crowdfunding is that, you know, this was kind of our you know third year of looking at the data, and boy, does it get slow around here. There's just not a lot of campaigns going on, and, and that makes, I think, a lot of sense when you really think about the whole big picture stuff is just... Not a lot going on, right? Not a lot going on. So I appreciate everybody tuning back in, checking it all out, and uh, you know, kicking off the new year, right? So we have on today's episode, I think, an awesome, awesome conversation. I'm going to be talking to uh, Carson Maddox, and we're going to be talking about G.I. Joe's, the real American hero. Yeah, that's right. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, so Carson is a monster collector of G.I. Joe um, stuff. And I say stuff because it's a whole bunch of stuff. But mostly right now he's focusing on on the artwork that was created around G.I. Joe. So he is currently on Kickstarter right now raising money for volumes five and six, which is all of the artwork from 1990 to 1994. And it's in a book. And it is sweet. And talking to Carson was just an absolute, you know, just an encyclopedia of G.I. Joe information. And, and what's awesome about the timing right now is um, if, you, if you've got Netflix, go and watch The Toys That Made Us. I, right before I talked to Carson, literally like three days before I talked to him last week, I finished up, my the whole family and I, the wife and I, we finished up watching the, the Netflix series. And now while personally, I was not a huge G.I. Joe guy. So, but man, did I love me some He-Man. Yeah, Castle Grayskull, Skeletor, the power. I have the power. I love me some He-Man. We've got a ton of He-Man out in my garage right now. I've gave you know the kids to play with them, and um, but that was that was talked about in um, the the Netflix uh, series. So go check out that because that will set you up for this interview if you haven't, or listen to this interview and then go watch the Netflix things because the stories around how these these products got made, the the, the entrepreneur's vibe of it, the feeling of it, the energy of it, just a great, great show. And man, was it, it just flooded my brain with memories, which I think if, if you're a G.I. Joe fan, you've got to check out um, what Carson's doing over on Kickstarter right now. Um, if you want to search it, go to kickstarter.com and then search um, Collecting the Art of G.I. Joe Volumes 5 and 6 and and support that, pick it up, get the book, put that on your desk. Um, you know, people, that's going to be something that people pick up often. So what else is going on? Well, if you follow anything, you know the Woodshed Agency went through a pretty intense time over the holidays. Um, uh, uh, you, you never really want to be on the front page of Reddit, I learned. So we've got that scenario kind of, I believe, under control right now. So that's a good thing. N- nothing that we... 
boy, that's something we didn't we didn't hope for. Um, but what else is going on? Facebook made a big announcement today that their algorithm changed again. Um, and I don't know if they're going to penalize business owners, but if you have a page, they are not going to show your content. So if you've got an organic content reach, stop doing it. It's not going to work. It's going to be a waste of time in 2018. So, so you got to focus on new things: Facebook ads, Messenger. Um, you know, uh, still creating great content. Maybe Facebook Live stuff. Just got to find new ways because what what Facebook kind of came up with was. Um, you know, people want to see um, stuff in their newsfeed from friends and family and people close to them. They don't want to be bombarded with business pages, um, you know, with which is always going to be buy my thing, buy my thing, buy my thing, buy my thing. So going to have to get real creative in 2018 if you are a business. So luckily here at Woodch Agency, we, I think, are pretty creative. We come up with some pretty unique things. So, um, but yeah, so that was kind of some big news that dropped. I think I think that dropped either yesterday or today. What else is going on? Man. How about the cold and the snow? We've got a couple inches of snow. It's coming down right now when I record this interview. Uh, or I'm sorry, when I record this intro. In a minute here, I'm going to have to go out and get the snowblower going. Going to fire that up. I got to tell you, the snowblower, probably one of the best purchases I've ever made. Um, I used, you know, first three or four years of living here, didn't have access to one. I was just shoveling it. And that sucks. That sucks bad. That snowblower, man, I'll, I'll rip through it. I'll do the neighbors. I got no issues with it. I got to put some chapstick on. Hold on a second. Let's listen to me put some chapstick on. Mm, good chapstick. Good chapstick. Currently, right now, I'm using some Blistex fruit smoothies. This is the melon medley is what's now on my lips. So if you guys want to check that out, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, boy, but it, it's been an exciting time here. We've been hunkering down and focusing woodshed. We've... we've um, as a, as a company, kind of trying to f- find more ways to continue to be, you know, as, um, as laser beam focused and tight on how we onboard clients, our communication abilities with them. My wife has actually been working pretty much full time with Woodshed now. She's doing a ton of work, so that's been great. Um, we've been kind of developing new systems in terms of, of scaling. We're trying to find uh, new ways of scale. We're trying to find avenues of new business. Um, so it's a really exciting time here, and I find that that's typically, you know, what that kind of that first part of the year is a, is a lot of like. It's just a lot of people floating and just thinking about, you know, where they want to be by the end of end of 2018. Um, so that's been going on. But what else is up there? Boy, it's just been it's just been kind of wild. Um, I don't know if you guys are listening or not, but the Stan podcast that I'm a part of is doing well. You guys might want to go check me out, uh, talking a little bit more about. Uh, men's social issues and dad stuff. So if you want to go um, search that, search, search for the Stan cast, um, you can hear me there pretty much weekly talking to my buddy Dwayne and Mitch about, you know, what's going on with men. So I got that going on, which is nice. Uh, been mixing a ton at the church. That's been exciting stuff. So just, man, it's just been nuts lately. Um, you know, yesterday, kind of something interesting happened to me. Um, so, you know, but most people know I work at work at a church on the weekend. I'm not a big religious guy, but I, you know, I work there and stuff, uh, making it sound good and mixing. And I find it weird that sometimes in scenarios, um, certain things or certain um, uh, possibilities happen, and it, it's just really weird. So let me explain this. So out of the blue. So it must have been Saturday. I get a I get a text from Sean, my business partner Sean, talking about hey he might want to come check out the church service. And it's like well that's an interesting you know he's never texted that before. Just kind of like oh that's that's interesting. So 
you know, so I listen, I'm listening to the, ser- the sermon and then the teaching, I guess I should be called. And it's all about health. And then there's a story by this guy named Jim that they show talking about how he, you know, was kind of addicted to sugar. And I think if anybody knows my buddy Sean or not, he probably has an addiction to sugar. I, I don't think he, if, I don't think he'd be mad if I'm saying that. I think he would know. So I found it incredibly interesting that in the universe or the ethos or whatever it is that surrounds us, that out of the blue, Sean thought to text to see about coming maybe to that service. Because that service, I think, would have, would be pretty impactful for him. It, had, it would probably have a lot of meaning. I think you could get a lot out of it. Um, I think, you know, I think there'd be a lot to relate to it. And I know this just, I mean, you know, he's my buddy. I've been work, you know, working with him for 15 years or whatever the heck it is, 12 years, whatever the number is. So I, I, I you know, so I was like, well, that's interesting, man. You should definitely come. You can hear me mix a rock show. Um, and now what's interesting is he didn't come, right? He didn't come to the, come to the, and that's fine. It's no big deal. But what I wonder, and I keep wondering, and I keep thinking about this over and over and over is, is that what entrepreneurs should have been? Being an entrepreneur, being in the startup, being at the right place at the time, or being or hearing things in in a moment that you made you might have just chosen not to go, and that's fine. But because you don't go, you don't get to hear the impactful thing that may or may not have persuaded you to change something. Or is it like, hey, you didn't decide to um, send that email, and that e- you know now somebody else took that business. Or you decided not to do social media all you know during the week, and now that attention is going to somebody else. So I don't know what it is, but it's been intriguing to me of just like, you know, this is something that I do weekly. This wasn't a special one-off event. This was I didn't tell Sean anything about this. He didn't have any idea. So just the fact that that's in our sort of energy or whatever it is that we put out in the world, that you know, Sean if he would have came, probably would have gotten allowed out of that service. And who knows what would have happened from there? I'm not saying his life has changed or anything like that. I want to be real cautious on that. But what I am saying is it would have been an impactful message. And I think that that's an interesting sort of, you know, my, you know, you know, I don't even know what to say. It's just an interesting way to look at it of going, is that what happens to a lot of people? It's just, you know, you had the right idea, but your timing's off. Or, you know, you got a whole bunch of traction, but you ran out of money, or you've got a whole bunch of money, but your idea sucks, that it really just takes sort of all of these things blending together to really sort of create something that's really great. So I bring it back. So when you look at a Kickstarter campaign that's really successful, like what, what we're going to talk to Carson about here in a minute and, his, uh, and what he's been doing with his G.I. Joe collection, it takes a lot of stuff to all come together to make that work. And I think that that's the sort of unspoken maybe magic that's around crowdfunding that no agency will ever, will, will ever help you do. I will never be able to help you do it. Sometimes there's just something more, you know, just something more. So, all right. Well, it's good to be back. I'm excited. You know, we're going to keep some of the same things going. So if you like what you hear, go tell a friend. Appreciate that. Leave us a comment uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this on. And um, all right, well, let's go ahead and kick my conversation with Carson, and let's talk about G.I. Joe. I took a chance on a world I didn't know. It seemed like the only way to go. All 
right, Carson, so I've hit the red light here, so we are officially recording, but why don't we start with a simple sound check. So what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, actually, so I don't usually eat breakfast. I have an Americano to get me going, and, okay. uh, and then usually by lunchtime, I'm ready to eat. So, <laughs> all right, uh, all right. So I just had a, a sandwich called a, a Siciliano. It's a flatbread with eggplant, chicken, lettuce, Italian dressing. It's delicious. Ooh, that sounds tasty. Yeah, nice. Very, very nice. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, I'm seeing signal. Right. I think we're sounding good here. Why don't we jump into it? So uh, why don't you tell my listeners what you are currently raising money for on Kickstarter? Sure. Uh, so I just launched uh, last Sunday. So it's been, uh, I'd say, nine days now. Um, I just launched Collecting the Art of G.I. Joe, Volume 5, which covers three years worth of painted artwork from the G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero toy line released in the United States. Um, so it's a very focused, you could hear a lot of qualifiers there, right? Like I'm only doing, pain, mm-hmm. I'm only doing painted art and I'm only doing United States releases because it was an incredibly prolific toy line. Yeah. So like, what, what does that, can you go a little bit deeper? What was the sure. first part of it? Like the painted art? Is, sure. What does that mean in you? So, so if you look at toy history, um, there's been different levels of investment in painted artwork that would be used on the packaging or in any promotional materials, catalogs. Uh, you know, pack-ins, inserts, as we call them in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the toy community, um, pack-ins. So say, for example, you go to the store, this picture, you know, rewind back to 1986 <laughs> and, yep, and yep. you walk into, you know, any of your local stores, they carried them at Sears, they carried them at Walmart, they carried them at Toys R Us, they carried toys everywhere. Um, it's not like today. And you had mm-hmm. just whole aisles and aisles and aisles of toys I remember G.I. Joe had, you know, at least just a full aisle of just G.I. Joe product on the shelves. And there's some old photos out there on the web. You can uh, just kind of Google G.I. Joe 1980s store shelves. And and you'll see some of these just amazing blasts from the past where you just had whole walls of G.I. Joe product. And um, one thing that G.I. Joe did that was very special that really, you know, separates it from some of the other competitors of the day was they they invested in unique painted art for every single product. So every figure, every vehicle, every playset had a completely unique illustration on it. And these were uh, starting out from 1982 uh, up until at least 1989. These were gouache paintings, which is like a watercolor that's really thick. So it lets you get, hmm. it lets you get fully opaque with it. Um, and this guy that did them, it was all one painter for the first seven years. Um, and I cover all this in the books, but this guy, Hector Garrido, he was a, a kind of a pulp book cover artist during the 60s and 70s. And he did, you know, pr- product packaging and, you know, stuff for TV guide, like promos for Roots. He would do an illustration that, that promoted Roots and showed all the characters, hmm. for example. Um, but he became, in my opinion, the most prolific toy packaging artist of a generation uh, in the 1980s. He did every single G.I. Joe product package from 1982 up through 1987, and then they started to mix some in-house artists with him to supplement his work. And then by 1989, he was off of G.I. Joe entirely. But the mission for the books is to collect every single piece of painted artwork from 1982, when they launched the smaller figures, the Real American Hero line, which created the characters like Duke and Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes and Destro and Scarlet and all, mm-hmm. those, all those characters we still know and love today. Those did not come around until 1982. In 1982, they created a real American hero. They launched a Marvel comic book. The comic mm-hmm. book is still running. They're getting ready to hit issue 250. So G.I. Wow. G. Joe is still alive and well. The same guy, Larry Hama, is still writing the primary book. They've had other books come and go. 
but Larry Hamlin's book remains true. Um, and they went all the way through to 1994 when Hasbro internal politics, they decided to cancel the line for a couple years. And that was the end of what's called the A Real American Hero run. So mm-hmm. I'm documenting every single piece of painted artwork from 1982 to 1994, which is called G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Wow. Wow. So um, I, we, we just finished up, uh, my wife and I, of watching the, the toys that made us on uh-huh. Netflix. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, I know. So, well, that's why you got an email from me. I was like, yep. it's so weird how sometimes this, like all this stuff connects where I'm just yep. like browsing Kickstarter and just, yep. you know, doing my thing. I'm like, well, I got to talk to this guy. I nice. literally just, just, I just finished it like, nice. I don't know, eight, eight or nine days ago. Probably. I, I, that's all, man. I'm, I'm glad to see that it's, it's finding an audience outside of the toy collecting community. You're, I, I take it you're not a toy collector. No, no but uh, I am the uh, the He Man guy. So okay. that He Man okay. one was like, Amen. yeah, I was just like, and there was my entire childhood yeah. in an hour special. I was like, those dudes were hilarious. Yeah, it was so they were, awesome. They were funny, man. Yep. yep. Yeah. So. So like for me, the GI Joe, I, I don't know. It just it, it didn't resonate as much to me. But sure. like I, but I learned so much about that. Yep. You know, the the inner politics that went on. Mm-hmm. Like I actually knew what you just mentioned about the it not being around for a couple years because yep. of what, whatever it was. But uh, yeah, they acquired Kenner. Long story yeah, short, right. the toy company that made Star Wars was yep. weakened by the early '90s, and Hasbro was very strong because of the success of Transformers and GI Joe. And, That's right. and so Hasbro was able to acquire Kenner and kind of absorb all the, the Star Wars stuff, the legacy stuff. And, and yeah, so politically, G.I. Joe stopped after 1994 and they did a reboot and they did G.I. Joe Extreme. And then in 1997, they did a, you know, a play on the 25th anniversary of the 1982 launch of the small figures. And G.I. Joe has not stopped like ever. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a it's a long running brand. We just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the original G.I. Joe, which came out in 1964, the 12-inch, the mm-hmm. what is not called a doll. It is an action yep. figure. <laughs> it's an action figure, yep. So, yep. so it's, I mean, this this brand has been around for 50-plus years now. And for me, my dad was an Army Special Forces guy, and, mm-hmm. he was, and he was gone a lot, you know? And so these toys, you know, I, I saw these action storylines in the cartoon on TV, and then I started reading Larry Hamlin's comic. And, you know, it's just something that really, really resonated with me as a kid. Um, and so, you know, as I became an adult, I just kind of tapped back into that and used my professional skill set to try to help, you know, help keep the brand relevant, help keep the brand alive, help preserve the stuff that I loved so much when I was a kid. Um, so I I just feel like it's, it's kind of work with worth doing. You know what I mean? Well, well that, that's, that was actually one of the shocking things that came out w- when I was watching it. I'm just like, I, I kind of thought G.I. Joe was gone. I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I'm not. I've got small kids, but man, yeah. there is an onslaught of toys. You yeah. know? And I'm like, yeah. oh, it, I, I didn't even know that it's still, still yeah. popular. Things are still running. The comic book's still going. I was like... You know, it, it's unfortunate. They, every brand has uh, spikes at, at, at this day and time it's very rare that a brand will have a continuous presence year round with the exception of a handful, you know, star Wars, transformers, mm-hmm. Ninja turtles, Marvel superheroes. Um, anytime you go into the toy stores, you'll see those handful of brands, but everything else is on like a rotation, you know? Yeah. Um, just because if there's not current media being made to support that brand, it's not going to find an audience. There's not going to mm-hmm. be people coming into the store to purchase it. And they knew this back in the eighties. That's why they did the monthly comic book. And that's why Hasbro was the first company to ever do a commercial for a comic book. 
And the reason that they did a television commercial for a comic book was so they could show off all the badass toys <laughs> that, you <laughs> yep, could, yep. that you could go in and buy that month. You know what I mean? And so yep. they had a really rigorous uh, production calendar and a release cycle, and they planned it so that the comic book, whatever would be on the cover of the comic book that month, if you went into the store, they were relatively certain it would be on shelves. You know, right, so right. It, was, it was just diabolical planning on their part. No, you're right. You're definitely right about that. So, so this is volume right now. This Kickstarter is volume five and six, correct? Yeah. So the initial goal was just eleven thousand dollars to print volume five, and the stretch goal was twenty two thousand dollars to go ahead and finish the series and print volume six. And then the the the, the second stretch goal. Did I say the first goal was eleven? The the first stretch goal was twenty two, and then the mm-hmm. second stretch goal was to create a like cardstock slip case that's going to hold all six volumes. And uh, that was twenty five. So we've we've blown right through that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's really awesome. Well. So, I mean, this seems like a huge, gigantic undertaking. Yeah. What is the starting point yeah. of finding well, this artwork in the world? You know, well, it's interesting. I mean, to, to really to really get to the beginning of this project, you have to go back several years before the project ever began. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, because I, I read your preliminary email. And, you know, in, in, in trying to be helpful to other people and figure out, you know, how can I advise people on how they can follow their passion and find some success with that? You have to, you can't just come out of the gate trying to sell people something. It's right. not, it's not going to work. You're not going to have an audience and people are averse to people trying to sell them things. Right. Yep. So, so for me, it, the journey started over five years ago. Uh, in, in August of, two, of 2012, I launched a website and it's an entirely free website. There's no ads on it. I made a very conscientious decision that I want to keep this thing clean, lean, uh, mobile friendly, low bandwidth. So, you know, it, it, people can easily function and use it on their mobile phones because half of all web traffic is coming through mobile devices at this point. So right. I launched 3djoes.com. And the reason it's called 3djoes is. I just had funded, or excuse me, I just had backed a Kickstarter myself uh, from a company called ArcSpin, A-R-Q-S-P-I-N. And th- what they did was basically democratize this 360 photography software. So hmm. you would get a motorized Lazy Susan and you would set up a smartphone or a DSLR camera or whatever kind of recording device you wanted. And uh, you could make 360 spins, which are basically interactive iframe files with 60 or so uh, JPEGs wrapped up in an iframe file and you can click it and drag it to move it all the way around the object. So you can see every, every side, every angle of that object. And so once that uh, Kickstarter went through, was successfully funded and I was mailed that equipment, I had just come back from the annual GI Joe convention in New Orleans. I was like, man, I've got to take this software and this motorized Lazy Susan. I've got to document every single GI Joe <laughs> from, <laughs> from, from 1982 to 1994. And so I just dug in, man. I just got to work, you know? So in August of 2012, I started building the website and uh, that's where it really started. So n- that has nothing to do with the painted artwork. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The, the painted artwork was part of that website. It, if you go to the website now, um, actually, hang on just one second for me. I'm sure. I'm so sorry for the interruption. Yeah, it's all good. Thank you. All right, so 
sorry about that. I have a uh, home office and I get deliveries now and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Um, yeah. So anyway, the uh, if you go to any given page on 3D Joe's, I've documented every single figure from 82 to 94, and I've documented every vehicle from 82 to 89 because the vehicle archive is being built kind of in parallel with the books. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a figure page, you see this 360 spin of it, which is cool. It's the figure. Yeah. It's posed with all those accessories and stuff. But then you scroll down. And there's the carded figure front and then the back of the figure uh, card, which had the file card, which was kind of a brief synopsis of their bio, mm-hmm. which, which told you who the character was. And it also had the cross cell that shows you every other figure that was available that given season. And uh, then you keep scrolling down and you just have the file card where, again, it's mobile friendly and you can read the bio right there on your phone. So from there, I was already gathering assets. You know, I was right, already right. I was already going through this process. I, I think I spent $22,000 collecting every carded figure from 1982 to 1986 or seven. And then (laughs) the the ones after that were a lot cheaper. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I just kind of, you know, I'm a working professional. I do video and animation for a living. I had Mm -hmm. a disposable income. This was a passion for me and I had fun collecting them and, you know, the website became a byproduct of that. It was a way for me to share my passion for this stuff. Uh, but coming out of that, once I had documented all the figures from the 80s, I decided to make one poster, which was just a white background and all of the figures with like their uh, their code name and their specialty, <laughs> right? So it started right. it started really small. Like the vision for this thing started small. It was just, I'm going to build a website with 360 spins of all these figures. <laughs> and, then, and then I had that first idea of that first poster, you know? And then I was like, oh, wow, people love that. Okay, I'm going to do another one. <laughs> uh, and so then the next poster was the carded figures, uh, for the first two, or excuse me, uh, 82 to 85. So, you know, 49 carded figures all on one poster and people loved it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I was, I was putting those on my credit card at the time. I was just coughing up $3,000 <laughs> because these are, uh, these are offset lithograph prints, right? It's not, right. In, it's not inexpensive to fire up an industrial offset lithograph printing press, <laughs> but you know, I'm a designer, editor animator type by trade. So I'm not going to just throw these on a digital printer. That's not, sure. right, right. That's not, not being respectful of the artwork. Right. Yep. So, so I, I made these offset lithograph posters. They were going well, but I was putting them on the credit card. And, you know, after I did the first three, uh, just putting them on my credit card and making the money back eventually after three or four months on 3d Joe's, uh-huh. I said, what, what the hell I'm going to do a Kickstarter. And so I, uh, I put up potential designs for three more posters. At this point I had three, and uh, I said, if we hit three, I'll do one. If we hit six, I'll do two. If we hit nine, I'll do three. And we raised 11. So, <laughs> so there you go. Then people had six posters and they were like, man, these posters are awesome, but I'm running out of wall space. Can you do a book? And I was like, hell yeah, I can do a book. That's cool. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, the book basically is the same thing as the posters, just with the addition of a bunch of research. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've traveled to Rhode Island. I've met the brand manager that you saw on the toys that made us. I met mm-hmm. the the figure designer, uh, Mr. Ron Rudat, that designed the first 115 or so figures, every figure from 82 to 86, and some, most of the ones from 87. Uh, Kurt Bazigian was the brand manager for the first five years or so. Then he went and did a few other things for Hasbro, and then he came back and was the brand manager for the net, for, for the last five years. So basically for the 13-year run, like this guy was at the helm right. for you know, eight or nine of those. And so I uh, interviewed him and interviewed one of the most prolific vehicle designers. And since then, I've gone to JoeCon and interviewed the uh, package artist at Hasbro that kind of took over once they brought the stuff in-house. I went up to New York and met the guy that owned the packaging agency that did all the packaging from 69 to 89. 
Um, so I've just, you know, I've, I've gone out of my way to meet these people, document their stories and incorporate those learnings into the books. It's awesome. That's so, <laughs> Sorry, that was probably a longer no, answer than you were expecting. Awesome. That was, a, I but, mean, I'm, I'm blown away on this uh, monster side hustle that you got going on. <laughs> thank you, man. I appreciate it. You know, it's just a passion project. It's, if I have a bad day with a client, uh, you know, client related work, sure, I, sure. I, I do that for eight or 10 hours. And then, you know, I go get some dinner and I come back and I, I plug away at 3D Joe's for a few hours and it just makes you feel better. I'm sure. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally sure. So, I mean, so how, how like, do you have a relationship with, with, uh, with um, wait, who has it? Is it Hasbro or is it Ken, yeah, Kenner right yeah. now? No, so Kenner was acquired by Hasbro. So it's Hasbro. Yeah. you know, they, they still use the Kenner name on some things, but, mm-hmm. you know, all in all, it's it's owned by Hasbro. So, um, so they must, but they must love that you do this because you, I mean, you're championing their brand, right? Like they got, I, I got to imagine, right? I, I have annual conversations with them at the annual GI Joe convention. Uh, you know, it never fails each year that I, that I end up having a conversation with them and, um, they love. So, so two years ago I had to sit down with the brand manager at the time at casino night. And, uh, you know, for 10 minutes, we just kind of talked about what I've been doing and, and, you know, his opinion was that I'm a brand ally, that I'm great for the brand. They appreciate what I'm doing, that I help keep it relevant during times of low tide. Sure. Uh, sure. Like the times that we're in right now. I mean, they've had two very successful movies. Um, now, successful in terms of they made money, right? Mm-hmm. They, right. they made, I, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 330 on the first one and 370 on the second one because it had The Rock and Bruce Willis in it. <laughs> um so they've made, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars off of these two movies. That's not unsuccessful. Right. Uh, by comparison, you know, the Transformers movies for a while there were making a billion a piece. Um, and the, the, but the latest Transformers, I think, only made half a billion. So yeah. it's more, more in the neighborhood of G.I. Joe's performance. So I'm hoping uh, they've announced that, you know, Hasbro's had a, a movie picture deal for several years now with Paramount and they're still continuing on with that deal. And they're, they've got, they've announced three movie dates. One of them is GI Joe in 2020. And so that's the next big kind of event milestone that we're looking forward to. And, you know, I think until then it's going to be pretty quiet for the brand. I Mm -hmm. I don't think there's going to be a lot of toys coming out. Uh, There's a collector's club that puts out figures every year, but that's kind of an exclusive thing. It's, you know, you're going to be paying $35 a figure as opposed to, eight dollars at retail right sure sure um so that's more of a niche kind of thing i don't think we're going to see the 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 next major retail push until 2020 and so things are just kind of quiet right now um (laughs) so yeah i mean it's you're always kind of operating at the mercy of the uh ip owners and and hopefully you know if you're a genuine person and you have the best intentions and and you have those conversations um you know hopefully things can go well for you sure so what do you see, I guess, as your ultimate, you know, sort of, you know, what's, is there a day where you just sit back and you're like, all right, I've collected it all or. Is, I'm done. <laughs> is there that No, day? I don't think so. I, you know, so t- we're, uh, we're talking two different things, right? Like one yeah. is like the passion project website books, all that stuff. And the other is just my collecting habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of my collecting habits, I really don't think there's a point uh, where you're just done. Cause there's so much different stuff you can get into, uh, and having all these conversations and, and making these connections with the people that worked on the brand, you know, I've, I've really gotten into kind of collecting some of this pre-production stuff, you know, like these, uh, 
So I've got a card back for my, my favorite figure. My dad was a Green Beret. There's a figure that's a Green Beret. Mm. So I've been trying to make a run on that particular character. <laughs> and, and so like, this is just some examples, but you know, I've got the card back where they never glued a bubble on it. It was just like the card back <laughs> for right. review, review purposes only. And that thing is like framed and I love it to death. Yeah. And then uh, I got the Kodak Ektachrome, which is a high resolution transparency that they used to transfer big art files back in the day before Dropbox. And so I've got I've gotten into collecting these these Kodak Ektachromes because you throw them on a light board and it's like higher resolution than any iPad Retina display. It's wow. amazing. It is amazing the That's clarity. Cool. Yeah, and you can take these Ektachromes, have them scanned in, and reproduce them really at any scale. I made a, um, a two banners for the last GI Joe convention from the 1986 catalog art and the 1987 catalog art which heretofore were only printed at like three by five, if that, you know, mm-hmm. and I printed them, I printed them at three feet by five feet, <laughs> wow. you know, wow. instead of three inches by five inches. And it's just amazing to see that artwork at that scale. And so those ectochromes allow you to do that. Um, so I've been collecting ectochromes, just like pre-production stuff. You know, even sure. if you've got all the toys, there's still other stuff to chase. There's sculpts. These things were hand sculpted back in the day. Mm-hmm. You can, mm-hmm. you can find, it's really hard to find. But you can find these sculpts that they made where they were twice the size of the actual released product. They're called two-ups. So all the figures were sculpted at twice the scale, and then they were shrunk down uh, at the factory. And that allows you to get greater detail in the sculpt work, right? Yeah. But so, so then you have these artifacts out there. There's always cool stuff to chase. If you've got a passion for it and you've got the disposable income, uh, you, you'll never run out of things <laughs> to chase. Right, right. Where do you keep everything? I mean, you know, this seems like it could take up many rooms. Yeah, in yeah, that's true. Um, so I got really hardcore back into collecting when the 25th anniversary stuff came out. The 25th anniversary of the 1982 kind of small figures, a real American hero run. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was 2007, and here we are, a little more than 10 years later. Um, I've had, you know, at one point, I started with one U-Haul storage unit, and it expanded. This was like a five by ten. <laughs> You know, and, right. and then it and then it grew to a ten by ten, and then it grew to a fifteen by ten, um, because I had a twelve hundred square foot house. There, right. there was there was nowhere to put this stuff. And the three sixty spins that I do for three D Joes require a huge footprint in and of themselves, because mm-hmm. you have this flat tabletop, you have this white backdrop that creates a seamless psych wall, yep. so that it blends perfectly with the wall. And then you have to have, you have to have lights all around that, so that footprint is like a 10 by 10, hundred square feet, you know, kind of cube that you have to have to do that work. Um, especially when you consider the larger vehicles that I've been documenting. So I just needed more space. I just moved from a 1200 square foot house to a 3000 square foot house though. So pretty much everything is at my house now with the exception of, you know, all the posters that I produced, I keep those like in bulk in storage. Sure. Sure. But, but all my toys are accessible now, which I'm really happy about. <laughs> nice. Very nice. So, Let's flip over a little bit to the actual Kickstarter itself. So now yeah. this is this is your um, how, how many Kickstarters have you ran so far? Then have you done with sure, so the volume? Uh, yeah, I did the three posters one first, mm-hmm. and and then I did volume one, volume two, volume three, volume four, and this is volume five. So this this is my sixth Kickstarter. Gotcha. Counting counting the first one with the posters. Mm-hmm. So what have you seen over those the, over the course of those six campaigns? What's different? Is there anything new? Is it sure. are, are you kind of ins, maybe insulated from some of the t- traditional stuff because you've got a you know you're attached to GI Joe, you've got a track record, you've got a yeah. following. 
Um, yeah. but what, what is it, what's it like in your world for, for running crowdfunding campaigns? It's been surprisingly consistent for me. Um, I'm actually going to pull up Kickstarter real quick because I want to make sure that I kind of get accurate numbers here as I talk through this. Give me yeah. just one second. Sure, of course. Uh, oh, I'm in Chrome. That's right. I need to jump out of there. <laughs> Give me one second. All right, there she goes. Oh, man, I have to click the view all button now because I've been through so many. <laughs> so long, that shortcut in the top, top right doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yep. All right. So the interesting thing for me is, uh, you know, it, I, I like to tell people this was a very slow build, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I started with the website in 2012. And then I, uh, I didn't start doing posters until I was well over like the first year in and I already had uh, every single figure documented from 1982 to 1989. Um, let's see what date this first one was funded. Oh, man. All right. Well, I won't take you down that road. <laughs> I, could, I could check. Well, let me check the updates real quick. Yeah. So, all right. So I was doing the first Kickstarter, uh, back in July of 2014. Okay. So we're three and a half years in on that and we're five and some change on the website itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I built the audience over a couple of years. I built the social media presence. You know, I, I, I had a few GI Joe photos up and that kind of thing on Facebook before I started 3d Joe's, but I think I had like 40 followers at the time <laughs> when, when I first started 3d Joe's and sure. now uh, gosh, I want to say I'm in the neighborhood of 7,600, wow. uh, somewhere around there for, for followers on Facebook. So Facebook was a huge marketing tool. Twitter, uh, is a somewhat relevant marketing tool. I think I've got maybe 1500 followers on there. And, uh, to this day on Instagram, I do have an Instagram and I do post a bunch of GI Joe stuff on there, but that's just my last name, Metaxas. Like I don't even really have a 3d Joe's Instagram account. Those are the only three social media vehicles that I have, you know, really bought into and put a uh, consistent effort into. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting the 3D Joe's website from, you know, 2012 up to now has really been a slow build. When I did that first Kickstarter in 2014, um, I think I, I only had the neighborhood, I had 137 backers, right? So it was somewhat successful. I was very happy with it. I was, you know, I blew through all three of the funding goals. Yeah. I, you know, top goal was nine and I raised a little over 11. So I considered it a great success. But when I started with the first book, that's when things really took off because I think it's something that people had wanted for a long time. And I know certainly I had wanted it for Mm -hmm. a long time. And I think it just struck a nerve with people. So from the very first volume, I got 334 backers. And if you look at it over over every single volume, that number's remained surprisingly consistent. So you've got 334, 361, 348, 352, and this one that I just launched a little over a week ago is at 291. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the people that are signing up for this, that are committing money to the to this cause, uh, that number has stayed surprisingly consistent. Um, what I have decided to do is you have to do some pruning when you're growing something. And you know, I did posters up until the point I had about 20 posters. And when I looked at the numbers after the fact, I had to concede that over the last two Kickstarters, volume three and volume four, I was basically losing money on the posters Mm. to keep a smaller segment of the population happy. I was willing to kind of cannibalize 
something that was more successful to the benefit of something that was less successful. Sure. And, and that means, you know, the posters were losing money and the books were having to subsidize them. <laughs> um, and not only that, I've spent a tremendous amount of money on flat files. You can't believe how expensive those things are. And then I spend 180 a month on U-Haul storage just to store all these posters. Right, right. So, so it's, it's kind of been a pain point. So the hardest thing for me over the course of these six Kickstarters was having to concede that I should probably stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because right. personally, I want to own them. I, I want a poster of everything. I, I would love to keep, because what I've been doing in terms of the box art and the figure art was creating collage posters that coincide with each book. So uh-huh. if you had volume three, that's like every painted piece from 1986 to 1987, I would create a vehicle collage that coincided with those two years. And I would create a figure collage that coincided with those two years. And I enjoy them, like putting them all up on the wall and seeing everything from 82 to 89. I'm really proud that we got all the way through the 80s. <laughs> but, you know, when you're only when you're losing money on something, it was more important for me that I finished the book series that I that I managed to fund these books all the way through, then continuing to try to, you know, subsidize the posters with the books and potentially putting the book funding in jeopardy. Sure. Sure. That totally makes right. sense. Totally makes sense. But yeah. That was a tough decision. I bet. But, yeah. I, I bet. Cause it's, it's your, you know, it's your, your work, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's I, I'm sure. So, well, yeah. well, behind the scenes too. I mean, is this something that like, um, you know, do you have a big mailing list that you've collected over the years? Oh, I mean, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Is that where, is that where most of your backers do you think come from? Or That is a vital to the success of, of these campaigns, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm happy to share kind of tips and tricks. And so something I should have done way earlier, I uh, kick myself to this day about it, is when I launched 3D Joe's as a free website with no ads, I should have had the mailing list sign up at the bottom of each page from day one. Mm, right. Um, and I didn't. I didn't start a mailing list until after, I think until right after the first Kickstarter. You know, up until then, I told you I printed three posters before I ever did my first Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Up until then, I was saving the names and the email addresses of everybody that bought anything directly through 3D Joe's. So I was starting to build a list, but I didn't have a sign up available to join that list without having bought something. Right, right. It, and once I got done with that first Kickstarter, I was like, well, here's 137 names and email addresses of people that like what I'm doing. I've got to add this to that other list, and I need to figure out a more professional way to manage this. So I signed up for MailChimp. Um, and MailChimp is an email management platform that doesn't cost you a nickel as long as your list is under 2,000 people. Yep. And so to this day, I'm using MailChimp. I've got 1,700 and 50. So I'm getting precariously <laughs> close You're getting to the close. day where I might, to the day where I might have to pay, but candidly it would be worth it. Yeah. You know, if, if, and when I do need to pay MailChimp, I, I think it would be worth it because I've put up a campaign. I, you know, I, I do the video, I do the write up, I, I get it approved through Kickstarter and I'm ready to hit that launch button. I hit that launch button. The very next thing that I'm doing is taking that URL over to MailChimp and blasting it out to 1,700 people yep. that are interested, yep. you know? Yep. And so that allows me from day one to have the perception of, damn, this guy has an audience, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Because from day one, the, the click-through rates on those emails are, are pretty good. Um, actually, I'll pull it up. I like to give people real numbers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
the, I know the Kickstarter campaign on my on the application. I can look at where the referrals are coming through. Let me uh, let me pull that up as well. I believe that direct referral traffic, which means it's coming straight from a link that I put out there that people clicked on, that's all going to be email mm-hmm. for me. So that's going to be the result of these Mailchimp efforts, right? Uh, I want to say fifty percent of funding has come from that. Wow. Yep. Uh, give me just one second. Yeah. So. 76% of my pledges have come via external. Uh, 19% of my pledges have come via Kickstarter, which one could conclude that maybe they were just browsing Kickstarter and found it. But I would say that's a overzealous estimate. Yep. I think some people will type in kickstarter.com yep. and then search for GI Joe or the art of GI Joe and find it. And then Kickstarter gets credit for that. <laughs> Whereas, we tell that to all of our clients who are like, yeah. um, I don't think your your Facebook ad did did it, and it's like you have. I don't have a measuring for how many people just saw it and went to Kickstarter and, and just that's right. in your that's name, right. and yeah. I don't get credit for that, you know. So yeah, yeah, that sucks. Uh, they, you know, and Kickstarter obviously wants you to think that there's tremendous value in putting your stuff on their platform, and I'm not saying that there isn't, right? Yeah. But I, but I am saying that that 19 is probably an overzealous estimate mm-hmm. on their part. Sure. Anyway, um, so 76 percent has come from external. And then I can look at the refer stats and that gives you an idea where the external came from. And the direct traffic, no refer information is 127, which uh, makes up 39%. So I'm thinking roughly 40% of my backers came from email. Uh, the 11% come from Facebook. 9% come from uh, one of the most popular kind of message boards, uh, groups that are, that are on, online related to GI Joe is called HisTank. Mm. And, and so 9% of my traffic has come directly from his tank. So props to those guys. They put me on the front page every time. Yep. Um, they're, they're big supporters. And then there's, you know, there's search stuff and Kickstarter stuff yep. and advanced discovery and that kind of stuff. And those are all single digit contributions. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's message boards, really, really his tank, uh, Facebook, and then uh, uh, email outreach marketing are where my referrals are coming from. That's very cool. That's very cool. So where do you envision sort of like the next few years looking like um, for, this, sure. for, your, for, for this project you're working on? Yeah. Um, so I've set the goal for completing volume six and shipping it by December. So 2018 is going to be very busy for me. Uh, I've got my own video and animation company uh, that is doing very well. So <laughs> I, I'm hiring freelancers and managing people on that and you know, getting client work done. And at the same time, I'm trying to feed this passion project and get this thing done. So having a deadline will certainly help, you know, me prioritize because 3D Joe's candidly is, is not extremely profitable <laughs> for me. Um, but it is, it, it's very meaningful for me. And so I have to find that balance of, I got to get that client work done and really make some real money and pay the mortgage and that kind of thing. Right. But I've got these backers that love what I'm doing and I love what I'm doing. So I need to put time on this too, you know? Sure, sure. So, so 2018 is going to be finding that balance of finishing volume five. Volume five is pretty much done. You can look at all 78 pages on 3D Joe's right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but volume six, I'm in the process of scanning the boxes and photographing the figures and also gathering international artwork. We're going to have 20 pages of uh, you know, just a cross section of the interna- international artwork that was out there. We could do another five volumes on international <laughs> if it was like a complete collecting guide, but that's not the goal. Yeah. Um, the U.S. stuff, the six volumes that I've done, it is a complete collecting guide. Every piece of painted U.S. released art, uh, that's not the goal for these 20 pages. It's just to give people a taste. 
Um, so that's 2018. That's going to be it. I mean, finishing the volume five and finishing volume six and creating the corresponding vehicle pages on 3D Joe's. I think that's more than an ambitious goal. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the vehicle archive will honestly trickle into 2019. And then once that uh, those vehicle archive pages are done, I create iTunes, iBooks versions of all these books. And they have interactive little blue stars on every page. So if you're looking at the box art for a specific vehicle, you click that star and it takes you to that corresponding page on 3D Joe's. And you can see 360 spins. You can see the box front and back. You can see the blueprints. You can see the driver. You can see dozens of like action feature photos that show off what the vehicle did. So there's wow. a lot of value. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of added there, value added there way beyond what I'm doing with the books. Well, well, um, didn't, didn't they say in the, in the show that ultimately <clears throat> in the whole, when it was all said and done, the figuring, the, the, the action figures mm-hmm. were meant to sell the vehicles, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. The vehicles yeah, are where it was at. yeah. Yeah. From day one, uh, the intention was that it was a vehicle line. That, that also had figures available. Right. Um, I, I'll actually give you a little bit of interesting like behind-the-scenes history. When they were developing the first figures in 82, they wanted each of them to activate something in the vehicle. So mm-hmm. they wanted to have, like for example, magnets in the boots of the tank driver. So when you sat the tank driver in the turret, the magnets activated the tank and made it go. Wow. Right? right? That's crazy, right? Yeah. So that, that was not affordable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that got cut. Right. Uh, but they, but they did end up, you know, if you push the turret forward, the tank does drive. And if you turn it, it goes sideways, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, but they, they absolutely from day one intended it for it to be a vehicle, uh, primarily a vehicle line. And I think, you know, the impetus behind that was that the vehicles had better profit margins. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, selling these figures at a dollar 99 a piece because star Wars, I believe were two ninety nine, mm-hmm. and star Wars were inferior in terms of articulation. Right. So when you compared a G.I. Joe figure to a Star Wars figure, there was no comparison in terms of playability, how you could pose it, you know? Yep. Um, so Hasbro came out with a better product at a lower price. And it's probably like the figures were to them as the posters were to me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> not, not exactly as profitable. Yeah, right. But anyway, um, yeah, it was definitely going to be a vehicle line. But that evolved over time. Uh, as you get into the 90s, they, they really start to dial back their vehicle production. And they really ramped up their figure production. So I, I would assume that, you know, by the 90s, that equation had changed mm. a bit. Do you have the uh, battleship? Oh, the USS flag, <laughs> of course. Yeah? You, oh, you do? That thing, I do. I, I got one maybe five or six years ago, and I have it set up in my guest bedroom, and it will never, <laughs> it will never come down, man. That thing is a... A beauty to behold. There will never be another boys' toy like that. No. They're just won't. No, no. They're just won't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's amazing. I mean, when people come over and see it, they're like, holy shit. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as somebody with a seven-year-old boy at, at their house yeah. in a 1,200-square-foot uh, house, yeah. Yeah, that would never make it. <laughs> yeah. Not, and, you know, they, they say that they designed it so you could take the turret off and slide it under some kid's bed. You can't do that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Oh, man, it's awesome. That's awesome. So, it, it is an amazing. Uh, it's an amazing piece of history, and it's it's something that honestly is gone now. You know, yeah. you're just you're not going to see something like that. If you if you look at like the Ninja Turtles layer they have out now, these things are all you know very very flimsy, not yeah. nearly the size and scale, and just kind of they don't feel as significant as as even the Terror Drone was another big one, the Cobra mm-hmm. base. Or, or uh, the mobile command center was another GI Joe base. They they did these things, you know, several times. They they would release these big play sets, is what they call them, 
And uh, they would they would do one every couple of years. Wow. So the De- the Defiant Space Shuttle Complex, man. <laughs> I, if you've ever seen one of those in person, it's incredibly intricate. They had everybody on the brand working on that for a full summer to to bang it out. I mean, it's just so much work went into this stuff. And and I believe they said, I think it was two million dollars in tooling is what they invested wow. to make the Defiant. Um, so just to get the metal molds that they poured the plastic into to make these things. And that's $2 million in 1987. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, so they were, they were a tremendous investment. Yeah, totally. Man. So So, how much do you travel and like go around to conventions and stuff? Is that a big part of your, of your years? It's not, it's, it's really not. Um, I definitely do the annual GI Joe convention because those are my people. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a couple other uh, good conventions that have a pretty good focus on GI Joe that I try to attend, but I don't necessarily do those every year. Um, there was one called Joe Lana that's uh, now I think rebranded as Toy Lanta to be broader, mm. but that's a that's a pretty good show uh, that's in Atlanta every year. The annual GI Joe convention is in uh, Chattanooga this year coming up, and uh, I, I went to Hascon, which was their first ever Hasbro run convention and they did actually a really good job with Mm. it so i was was very impressed by that they had a very nice uh tribute to gi joe and and that was awesome no regrets going to that they just had their first one this past year they'll have their second one in 2019 so i'll be going to that but for me i you know the only show that i actually sell at is the annual gi joe convention Mm. um i love to go to conventions just because i'm a nerd you know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah. So in the, in the uh, the Netflix show, you know they, they, mm-hmm. they mentioned on the He Man one that there's like these small boutique companies remaking. Sure. Is that happening in the GI Joe world? Yeah. So Hasbro has licensed uh, their properties out to the GI Joe Collectors Club, and they've been doing this for 20 years, mm. 20 plus years uh, since 1994, I believe. Now I do have some bad news. Unfortunately, Hasbro has decided to. Uh, to trail that off and cancel that out after 2018. Mm. So their last year of product, I think is being sold right now, but man, they've, they've been incredibly prolific in terms of uh, creating figures and, you know, they don't create a lot of new, new stuff in terms of new molds, but they'll take stuff and repurpose it, recombine it in different ways. Maybe add a new head sculpt here, a new torso there or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'll create and they'll create these new characters. There's a pretty extensive catalog of parts available, so they can do some creative part swapping and come up with some decent results. And so I think you know that's been successful for them for 20 years. I think Hasbro is getting ready. I hope for a real big relaunch with this 2020 movie. They, they're trying to create a shared universe with GI Joe, Transformers, Visionaries, Micronauts, mm-hmm. Mask, all, all these toys of the 80s. Yeah. And so, you know, I wish them the best with it. I think it'll, the success of that will hang on the movies. Right. Uh, but hopefully those movies do well and, and the relaunch is a big success and we'll get a lot more G.I. Joe product. Man. But there's been, you know, there's an Adult Swim cartoon called Resolute that was on a few years ago. There was uh, the Hub Network had a full season of G.I. Joe Renegades, which was kind of like an A-team take hmm. on the G.I. Joes where they're kind of, you know, they're outlaws right, right. kind of thing. Uh, it was actually really cool. Like Cobra was like Walmart. <laughs> where <laughs> Cobra was like this brand that was ubiquitous and, you know, seemingly, you know, altruistic, right? right? right, right. But, but underneath they were this just seedy evil organization. So it was, I really liked the idea for Renegades. It was pretty fun. Cool. And my nephew loved, my nephew loved it, but uh, you know, it's just like a series of bad events. Like they, they started their own network called hub. And then within a few years, they decided to cancel that. Mm-hmm. And it's like rebranded again. It's like uh family something mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, they've been putting efforts into creating content. I don't think they're going to create any new content until that movie in 2020. And that means we're probably not going to get a lot of GI Joe until 2020. Right. Right. Wow. Well, Carson, I appreciate you taking time out of your uh, your busy schedule to yeah. chat, man. We could probably chat all day on on stuff. You're you're a uh, encyclopedia of GI Joe. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate it, it's man. Nice. It. I appreciate so, it. So you mentioned uh, the website 3D Joes, but where else can people kind of dive in or or you know sure. dive into your world, basically? Yeah, I mean, obviously, 3DJoes.com is my biggest kind of online presence. There's thousands of pages there, uh, over 500 figure pages. Um, I'd say at least a hundred vehicle pages at this point. But in addition to that, I've scanned all the catalogs, all the book covers, um, all the magazines, every single page of the interiors of the magazines. If it's, if it's a painted book that came with an audio, like a record or a cassette, I've ripped the record or the cassette, put up the audio file, scanned every page of every book. You can go there and hit play, listen to the book and flip through the pages online. Like there's, wow. it's stupid. It's stupid how much content I put up there. <laughs> So just go, just go live at 3djoes.com for a few days and, and really reconnect with GI Joe because it's amazing how much stuff they put out. It was truly, uh, it was a special time to grow up and they were incredibly prolific in terms of the stuff that they created. But once you've milked 3D Joes, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can connect with me socially on facebook.com slash 3djoes and twitter.com slash 3djoes. And I talk to people on there every day and I try to, you know, promote my projects on there and also just share like any research findings that I have, any fun information that I have, you know, if there's stuff that Hasbro's doing or the club's doing, I try to share what they're doing so people are aware. Uh, but that's just more of a general kind of sharing place for me. Whereas I look at 3D Joe's as an archive and I look at, you know, Facebook and Twitter as just fun places to have conversations sure. and share stuff that might be more uh, granular. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, Carson, yeah. You're doing some amazing work, man. Keeping it. Uh, man, I, pr- I appreciate it. I was very humbled that you guys wanted to uh, to reach out yeah, to no, me and talk with course, me. Man. And, uh, and I'm impressed by your presence as well. It was very professional. Awesome. Jeff. awesome. Seriously. I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, good luck on the next, what, 12 days? Is this Kickstarter? What, is it 12? Uh, is it 12? Yeah, because I did a three-week campaign, and I think I launched it about nine days ago. That yeah, sounds yeah, about, about 12 right. 12 days ago. Here. So, yeah. Right. Hey, you know, and every, every dime that I make over that uh, final goal is going to go towards reprinting volume three so that I can keep these books in print so that as people discover, you know, GI Joe rediscover GI Joe over the next couple of years, I want them to be able to come to 3d Joe's and buy all six volumes. Right. right. If, if, if they're not in print, what's the point yeah. of me having made them? <laughs> right. Exactly. Know? So, so yeah, the money, any overages, I've already told the backers this, any overages that we have, I'm going to reprint volume three. I already reprinted volumes one and two with the last Kickstarter that went over. Um, and I'm also buying a bunch of international painted artwork to uh, to share in those 20 pages that are going to go into volume six. So the, the backers, the pledges still mean a lot. So definitely get in there and, and help us get funded. Um, beyond that, man, I you know let me know when the podcast is up and edited yep. and whatever. And I absolutely will share it across all channels, awesome. man. So awesome. I, I, I appreciate your effort. No problem, man. All right. We'll have a good one and uh, we will talk later. Woo! What a conversation. Man, I think I could have probably talked to... Well, let me say this. I think Carson's the type of guy that you could probably talk to all day. Um, And what energy and passion and... I mean, it just shows you what some of these toys do that it... it, You know, your... You know, even if it's a product, it can have a a lifetime impact on somebody. I mean, back when the G.I. Joe days, when you think about, you know, uh, creating... 
having this maybe not replace your dad but be a very important figure in your life and you see how that's passed down and passed down and, and still being a part of part of this of his life and many people's life and and your product can do that if you're doing crowdfunding right you have to kind of think about that like you have a you might have a lasting impact so take it seriously um go raise that money and yeah all right what a great great first interview i'm so excited about 2018 i think we're gonna have a lot of fun this year um so i hope everybody had a good time and i will talk to you all I should have better done.